Hi, this is Hollywood Breaks with myself, Tim Thompson, and my inside partner, Keith Rao. This week, we're discussing Spielberg's big move with Netflix. We're calling it Saving Private Equity because Spielberg has made a deal with his production company, Amblin Entertainment, for clearly some other reason than his one-time advocacy to save the silver screen. With this move, I'm sure Netflix is also looking for someone to bring an A-game because Wall Street Journal recently had reported that out of all the studios and platforms, Netflix scores a big zero on people that remember their movies after five months. So this and many more topics are we're gonna to discuss today. Please enjoy the episode. So what is coming out? Fast and Furious 9. The Quiet Place is already yes. out there. Quiet Place is already there. And the Heights right? is still in theaters. And then you had um, my boyfriend's bodyguard part Oh, two, yeah, which, that's right. Wait, which I don't think did very well. Didn't did great, but, that's, but um, that might work. That's Ryan Reynolds. That's, that's our buddy's film, Lion Gate. Tim, Lion Gate. Yeah, Tim. That's yeah. Tim. Mr. Mr. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw the uh, I saw the trailer for it. Oh, it cracked me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the first one was supposed to be pretty funny, but it did. I didn't like do bank gangbusters. Like, so the sequel was a little bit like, really, why do you want to do a sequel? But I guess they all had fun making it, so they want to do another one. And I, but it didn't do so hot. But I think it's still in theaters. So. Well, maybe I'll send my kids to Best and Furious, and I'll. Um, all right, Mister. I sent you a article because it totally cracked hmm. me up <laughs> i mean honestly yes. so uh the article i sent you was about spielberg making a deal with netflix uh-huh. where almost like the genesis of hollywood breaks you know was the the original article we read where, where spielberg was totally just panning any ott platform and saying it's not real filmmaking and yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's not it's not a film it's not a movie not a, yeah. Basically, it was his premise. And then even he, for a half a second, was basically like pushing the Academy to make it a strict thing that it had to show in theaters for a certain amount of time, solely because he wanted to try to make the distinction between a film and a Netflix film. He gave that, that was, up after like a week, though. <laughs> yeah, he did. That was like maybe two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, I think it was about two years ago because it was right before the Oscar season of the 2019, I believe. Yeah. So now so. I guess if you can't beat them, join them. Is that what we're learning here? So his deal. Uh, well, here's, by the way. I mean, here's the thing. I delved a little bit more into details because the, you can't really go by what the, the headline the media chooses because they're going to create the headline that creates the most clickbait. So Spielberg going to Netflix, everyone immediately thinks, oh, he's going to direct Netflix movies. But that's not a guarantee. He may direct a Netflix movie, but the deal is actually with Amblin Partners, which is with his Amblin. production company. He still keeps his film deal with Universal, which he's been on there since the Lou Wasserman days. So way back when. I think he still has the same bungalow from back in those days. He still has that flexibility. And obviously Universal has focus. So if he wants to do like more arty house fair, it's more likely that'll go to focus versus Netflix. But that enables Amblin to have a little bit more of a funding stream. So it's not just Spielberg per se. Um, but, you know, it, it's... And I would say it's probably inevitable that he's going to do a Netflix movie because, you know, much like Martin Scorsese had The Irishman, which was his passion project that every studio said, go, go, go screw. I'm not making a three and a half hour movie for 150 million or whatever that budget was. So ultimately, maybe Spielberg has one of those films he's been wanting to make that Netflix will say, sure, why not? Yeah. Here's 200 million. Go make your movie. 
He's probably no, sitting I think it's inevitable. smoking cigars with Scorsese and, and Scorsese's like, dude, just sign the deal. They'll make whatever movie yeah, you want says, to. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to me because Scorsese penned the article in Vanity Fair basically attacking Marvel movies as like popcorn, like riot, like not film. They weren't film. They're just amusement park rides, as I guess he kind of referenced them. And now he goes to Netflix and now Spielberg's going to Netflix. So Turns it's out if you want like, a really sweet deal with Netflix, write a scathing review, them. <laughs> which might get me to the best segue to ever of if we're going to pan Netflix content, maybe we can get <laughs> exactly a pretty good Netflix deal. <laughs> well, you do have a, you do have a tendency to uh, attack Netflix quality. Um, um, so, because... and you should, you should know <laughs> that as like of this Disney... week, it, it's like Disney TV. It's, you know, like those it's, cheesy it's, Hannah Montana type. Con- <laughs> it, they're like movies of the week. Movies totally of the week. It. Yes. Um, so you'll, you'll be happy to know that you're in kind of prestigious company. The Wall Street Journal this past week published an article essentially with your thesis. Did they quote that, me? They <laughs> should have. <laughs> Next time I think they will. I best, essentially saying like Netflix is prioritizing quantity over quality and they had this very fascinating chart which richard rushfield republished in his ankles i'm just going to tell you something that's not (laughs) that big of a breakthrough no it's not but it's it's i think it's the first time it's really been brought up yeah sort of like in i mean yes everyone has had hushed conversations like oh it's a netflix movie so you know they just let's see what sticks but it's the first time that it has really dived into sort of like the process. And, you know, there was a chart they had which focused on sort of the buzz that each film has with after like five months, like movies. And Disney obviously topped the list. But and then the other studios were sort of, you know, Warner Brothers was number two. Sony was number three and then Paramount. And then um, probably forgetting Lionsgate, I think might have been on there. Netflix, zero. Zero buzz after five months. So, I mean... Wait, so, hold on. So, I'm just going to restate what you're saying because I'm pretty sure that's exactly my experience that I've been trying to get out of my head. <laughs> so, when you're looking for a show, right? like Netflix it does a really good job. I mean, it's one of the first platforms I go to. They push their shows to our front and sure, why not? Yeah. Try it, yeah. Right? Yeah. Octavia yeah. Spencer's yeah. in it. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh-huh. Um. But the reality is, is if you asked me what I watched five months ago on Netflix, besides knowing I didn't like it, I couldn't <laughs> tell you if, I, if there was a movie I liked. You I, are so getting a, te- uh, a Christmas card from Ted Saranos <laughs> and Lee Hastings. I can, I can see it. It's going to be a nice, big, big bag of coal. <laughs> and maybe some other things thrown in there as well. <laughs> no, but I could tell you, honestly, only, I could only recall in my mind things I didn't like, except for Stranger Things. And House of Cards, yeah. which aren't, those aren't like theatrical in form. They're more episodic. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, because this, this was basically a percentage of films that maintain significant public interest over five months. I would be interested to see what the, what the flip side of that would be with TV series, because I would argue they probably do quite well in that regard. Um, I would probably say Netflix and Disney are at the top of that list. Um, but with films, and this was very, I have to be, this was a very film centric article. It wasn't necessarily talking about some of the other series that they've had successes with. This is very film based. Um, and I think it's largely because they've spent so much money on film 
um, and their awards budget is like insane. Like the amount of money they spend to try to get nominations, they, they're desperate to win the best picture. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to me that it seems that there, there might be a, a shift happening here. Like maybe they're realizing that they need to sort of focus a little bit more on the quality, but Matt Bellani, uh, Bellani, I think is how you say his name, who does a, um, what I'm hearing, which is his new sort of, he's a former editor in chief of the Hollywood reporter. Uh, he puts out a weekly newsletter called what I'm hearing. And he had a very, very succinct analysis with this point. He's basically saying, listen, because churn, because viewer hours viewing are, is going to start to drop because the pandemic's coming to an end. Obviously 2020 was like record breaking. Sure. Because everybody was stuck at home. Now it's going to start to drop because the pandemic's coming to an end. People are going outside. The goals of all these streamers now are going to be to reduce churn and hold on to and grow subscribers, grow the subscription rate. And the only way you're really going to do that is if you have more or less new content pretty much every week. You just have to do it. And and that metric, trying to get the quality up it's not going to be easy because you've got to just turn and turn. And I think Scott Stuber, who's the head of Netflix film, basically said they're going to release 60 films next year or something ridiculous. You can't do that and still maintain an, an extreme high level of quality. It's just not possible because if you have to churn out that many movies, the, the quality is probably going to suffer a little bit, but it's about yeah. the focus now, as I said, is reducing churn, because we don't really know where the consumers, because the pandemic has shuffled everything, we don't know what consumers sort of maximum number of subscriptions to streaming services they're going to, uh, you know, tolerate. Is it is it three? Is it four? Or is it going to be we'll watch while our favorite shows on there, and then once we binge, we're off, we're out. We'll yeah. Cancel. So that I mean that t- makes total sense. I f- feel like the promotions they did at the beginning of the year were just about volume. So they had those. Mm-hmm you know, teaser trailer kind of things where they had their, all their, you know, big stars talking yeah. about the films they're going to make on a weekly basis at Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I think they were way ahead of the game recognizing, oh, wait, when the pandemic's over, viewing hours have to drop. Like there's no, people are going to yeah. actually going to go outside and, and live a life. <laughs> they're not going to be yeah. sitting in front of television for nine right. months. So they, the economics of Netflix says, don't cancel us. That's all they really want, right? Just right. a monthly fee or whatever. So they figure, well, well, if we produce a movie of the week every single week, at least people will not cancel us because for their seven dollars a week or whatever, they're getting a you know a, a film with a Hollywood star in it. It's not a Hollywood um, quality film, but a film no. with a Hollywood star in it. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think that's that that. I mean, they had an edge when the pandemic started because they had so many films and shows already in the can. So they were able to slowly, well, in posts, not in the can, but, and they were able to slowly roll them out while all the other stu- streamers were like, ah, we don't have yeah. anything. Like, so they obviously had an edge in that regard. And largely because they do that, they just turn it like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Now, from a marketing standpoint, because, you know, you and I are both content marketers, that's like sucks. It's like, you know, we've had Cami on, Cami Sargent, who said like, that was the toughest part for her. It was like, because when you're on a film, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into figuring out the best way to reach an audience. And it pop, you have a trailer that pops on the service for a week. You get a little tile, boom, onto the next one. 
like whereas at the studio it's like three or at least three trailers you've got to craft a digital campaign you've got to craft a, a somewhat of a tv campaign you've got out of home billboards in theaters like it's all inclusive but with netflix it's like well okay one and done we're out the door even you yes. know we haven't talked about your movie posters in a while but just to recognize that there was there is also an art form to the marketing of hollywood yes i mean and yes. that's people's careers they specifically do that they yep. make things like movie posters and trailers they tell the film story very differently in 30 seconds or two minutes. And it's really, it's a beautiful art form. I, you know, it I, is. I remember an Apple back in the day, just used to apple.com slash trailers. And they just showed movie trailers because it was its own kind of art. Form. Joe blow was like one of the best places to go to just watch new trailers. Cause yeah. that's where I, you know, and it was like when, when I was working in development, a new line, that was like the systems. We just pass around trailers all day. Like, Oh, you got to check this out. Oh, this is great. You got to check. Oh, check the queue out on this one. La, 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 la. And it's just like, it is an art form. And it's funny because when I was working here at that company in Philadelphia, um, who shall remain nameless, um, they, they they all thought, like, especially not Comcast. It's not the not Comcast. It's not it's um, not the Comcast one. No, um, so they the editors were, were very talented. Don't get me wrong, but they all thought they could easily just cut a trailer. Like, and I'm like, guys, there's a very specific skill set to this. You guys are used to cutting commercials. This is not the same skill set. It's a very specific set. You have to have like perfect timing with a cue. You have to be able to, you know, basically take a two hour movie and squeeze it into two minutes and make it engaging enough that someone's going to want to say, Oh, I want to see that. Mm -hmm. It's different you know, from, I want to see that to like, Oh yeah, maybe I'll buy that. It's not, it's just, it's difficult to explain until you actually sit in a bay with an editor a music supervisor, a copywriter, and you're actually all working together to put a, together a piece that is going to present this movie in a way that not only respects the filmmaker's vision, but at the same time is appealing enough to the audience to make them want to come and buy a ticket. Yeah, if you remember my big, bold move of breaking protocol and outsourcing <laughs> yes. segments we were doing that went over like gangbusters yeah but to say like wait a second a movie trailer company this this needs to be handed to a movie trailer company yeah. or movie ed movie trailer editors that can know how to tell the storyline and the timeline that we had we we're doing an end of year uh compilation end of year like rewards type thing yeah yeah and it was it's pretty important to recognize that and, and i learned that myself um back when i was imaginary forces we here we were making you know, amazing uh, commercial work, uh, opening credits for films, contributing awesome graphics to it. But when we'd go uh, to Sony and they'd try to give us a trailer, we really struggled with just a version one kind yeah. of edit. We we were more like cinematic storytellers or segment storytellers, and we didn't under, I didn't understand that mojo until I went to Trailer Park. And then mm -hmm. once I got to Trailer Park, I just realized like, oh, it's, this is just so different. Nothing. <laughs> It starts in a different place. It's yeah. financed differently. It's, you know, the way people interface with it is totally different. And those um, trailer editors, they really have to know what that two minutes feels like before they dive into it. So they're watching yep. four or five hours worth of content. Oh, yeah. And a lot, of the time, two minutes. a lot of times you're, you're pulling from dailies. Um, we would often, when I was at Fox, 
because Tony Sella was very big at crafting a very distinct trailer versus what the movie necessarily had. So he would go, he would like, you know, have us send all the dailies to the vendor. So they would have to break down all the dailies, every single shot. And when you're dealing with like a Scott brothers film, like Tony Scott, rest in soul, God rest his soul, um, shot a enormous amount of footage. Like you would see like a day of shooting for a movie for him was like, entire shelf of tapes because he just shoots so much and we would have to send that all to the vendors because tony wanted it all there because you have to be able to craft and then they have to go through all that and figure out how that can potentially kind of work together and how the flow and like you know one shot you know how one you know character flying off screen cuts to another character coming from the same direction i mean it's yeah it really is such a an art form and my old boss he said it once that i i I, I often didn't get it when he said it because I just started there. He said, you know, most editors are like musicians. They're musicians on the side. And I'm like, really? I mean, all you do is push buttons. And it's like, well, when you think about it, it's all about keeping time and the beat and, you know, basically composing a piece and being able to keep things to time and picking the right cue and all that. It's very sort of almost, it has sort of a very similar skill set to it. Yeah, and it's um, layers, like it has parts. Yeah. And that's some of it too. It's it's not just, you know, the film or the footage, the, vo the voice, and maybe mm -hmm. a soundtrack, which yeah. the films have to work with. But yeah. you add sound effect and mm -hmm. graphic and voiceover. And, you know, moment, and you can halfway through a, a, a trailer, you can switch songs immediately and get a different moment. And you create its own, it, the arc of the, trailer has its own bridge and it has its own conclusion and yeah, yeah. it's it's totally brilliant that's what i yeah. gotta say like when i when i hear the moves of like what disney did and just mm -hmm. basically saying content here's content distribution we're gonna mm -hmm. put things in contest and then the middle of it's going to be marketing we're not going to take and these are my words but my my concern is like they're not going to take any any thought to the type mm -hmm. of content it is they're only right. going to basically worry about the distribution channels. And I, that art form, that marketing art form of movie poster, trailer, teaser, whatever, is mm -hmm. just, you know, turning it into nothing. So Disney doing something like that. I think Paramount Plus might be doing something like that. Like they're really yep. just like centralizing these decision making. And I think we're going to mm -hmm. miss some of that awesome nuance. Well, yeah, I mean, Paramount basically announced a restructuring of their Paramount Plus division. Um and it's very similar um, in terms of you have like one division, you have George Cheeks, who is the gentleman who came over from NBCU, who's sort of like, he's going to be the chief content officer for like news and sports for Paramount Plus. Jim Giannopoulos is going to oversee Paramount Movies. Um, Bruce Gilmore, I guess, who's president of music at um, sort of like working with MTV. He's going to sort of leverage some, look at ways to leverage Viacom's global IP um, and then you have Chris McCarthy, who's going to, who's the head of M. He's actually the head of MTV. He's going to focus more on sort of unscripted and animation. Um, and then you've got, um, David Nevins from Showtime and Nicole Clemens from Paramount TV, who are going to oversee sort of like the scripted series. And it's really content focused because that's really what it's about. So they're taking, it sounds like they basically just said the type of the, the type of content is what's going to determine the leadership. Right, they're basically yes. dependent content, and then not, right. not distribution is no longer the kind of business. Uh, yeah. Well, I, they, I don't, 
I mean, I've heard rumblings that they're going to potentially go that route and build like a separate distribution uh, division, much like Disney did with Kareem Daniel. And that may eventually come to pass because it seems like that would make sense, but they've already determined this is Paramount Plus. Like, so with Disney, it's like you've got, for example, the studio that oversees Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm they make movies and it's not necessarily guaranteed going to be on a theatrical track. And that's going to be based mainly on what Kareem Daniels data tells him, whether or not the movie makes the most sense to be in the theaters versus on Disney plus. Now, you know, if you look at what Paramount Paramount's doing or Viacom, I should say, they're very specific. These people are in Paramount plus. So Jim G. Joplis, for example, is going to oversee movies for Paramount Plus, but he's still going to make Paramount movies. So it's entirely possible that movies that are made for Paramount could end up on Paramount Plus, but that I think they're going to be very two very distinct channels. So they're going to, you know, a movie's going to be greenlit for Paramount Plus, a movie's going to be greenlit for theatrical, that which I sense. think is a smart play because to the to the talent around town and in, in Hollywood in general, it's saying if we commit to theatrical you're going to get a theatrical release. Yeah, they're basically competing with Warner Brothers and they're yeah. in a Well, yes, exactly. They're like the uh, polar opposite. So I give Jim, again, I, I said this a few weeks ago, I give Jim, Jim Giannopoulos a lot of credit for holding firm on Quiet Place because I'm sure he was getting a lot of pressure from on high to put that on Paramount Plus because they needed something to launch it. That would have been a perfect thing. But Jim's like, no, this is a theatrical release. And the fact that he stood his, his ground I think bought him a lot of credit with the town because everyone's going to be like, see if Jim commits to a theatrical release, it's going to stay theatrical. Now the problem, the other, the flip That's side cool. of that playing devil's advocate would be <laughs> if you commit to a theatrical and it ends up on Paramount plus, that's going to communicate to the broader community that the movie's shit. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, like short to video kind of a, yeah, it's uh, like yeah. direct to DVD. So it's sort of like, yeah, that's a little bit of a difficult bridge to hoe but again it's 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 showcasing that they are in fact committed to theatrical whereas as you pointed out you know toby emmerich and his team at warner brothers has a little bit of a heavier lift now because they just went whoop and now everyone's the town's like uh and then you've got the like i said two weeks ago brian lord came out and said they have a lot more work to do and that's not what you want to really hear from the head of caa so um you know i think it, it it's i think everyone's experimenting right now um, and we'll see how this all plays out. Um, but I think that's a, s- a smart move on Viacom's part to sort of give sort of the, we're committed to the theatrical experience. If we commit to it, that's where it's going to go. It's not going to be shuffled down Paramount Plus because some guy in, in the data department tells me we'll make X, Y, and Z. So, and one more I, thing I, I do want to talk about. Sorry. Oh yeah, Go for I, it. Yeah. So I want to bring up this because it just popped into my head. I know we didn't run this in the pre-show, but. Bonus for everyone. Um, <laughs> so Luca came out this past weekend. And yeah. it's interesting. I was talking to our old uh, Hollywood breaker friend, Robin Geisen, who will be coming on next month for all of you Robin oh, Geisen fans. Um, and she was, she and I were talking a lot about how we're shocked that Pixar didn't release it in theaters because my wife went to a um, book sort of, they, we have a neighborhood book uh, reading where like the police chief comes yesterday was the mailman. Um, that's the kind of town we live in. It's really, that's nice. pretty cool. Uh, um, and she was talking to a lot of the mothers there and they were all raving about Luca. And what a great movie it was. And 
And it's like, Robin was like, I haven't seen it. So I'm totally speaking from secondhand information, but I trust Robin's sort of opinion. And she said, this is a movie you want to see in theaters because it's so beautiful and gorgeous and it shoots the Italian Riviera. And so I'm, I'm wondering where the decision was made to not release that in theaters. I'm just so I'm curious. I, I was, okay, so I did see Luca. Oh, and what see, I did what a great segue. Yeah, perfect. Uh, <laughs> what I do in my backyard is I have a big screen and a projector. So we basically, oh, it was you nice. know, 80, 80 degrees outside. We had friends over and we got up the screen, got my sound yep. system and just and played it outside. Um, it's quasi nice. like drive-in theater-ish is what we yeah. do. Um, because I felt like, oh, wait, this is, I mean, it's a Pixar movie. I'm yeah. kind of a fan of Pixar movies. Um, I'll say on the tough side, it's missing a little bit, a little bit of Lasseter love. It is, it's like there's a, mm. there's something that kind of a little bit of spice that used to exist. Um, but great film. I'm, I'm with everyone. And I was, um, I'm glad you brought it up because I was thinking like, I, I might actually be right about this where Disney is basically playing against the theaters for a little bit with the thought that they would go into an acquisition deal. Like they kind of don't want to feed a target that later on they're, they're going to want to acquire. So you don't go like, well, I'm not going to make mm. AMC look better <clears throat> or Pacific theaters look better and give them, buy them sales. I'm going to basically not supply them for a while. Oh, them back And then you buy them at, See, because why my, would Disney in the future want to get into the distribution game? It, they're so, I mean, the El Capitan yeah. experience is so fun. Why wouldn't they think, well, let's do this everywhere? But they're like, wait, yeah. we can buy it for a pretty penny. So that's definitely a possibility. I never thought of that. I mean, one, uh, another theory I had was that their main, they are guessing, and they might have research that shows this, that families are not necessarily comfortable going to the theaters yet because kids still have to mask. So there's a lot of, you know, my kids actually are starting to push back. <laughs> they're seven and five. And they're like, it's not fair. You guys don't have to wear masks anymore. And we do. And it's, so I think you're dealing, I think maybe a lot of parents are probably starting to deal with that a little bit more. And you don't really have a choice when you go to a theater because it's like young kids still have to mask. So, I mean, I don't Kinda. know. If, I mean, don't we all kind well, of I, know, like when the lights are off, no one's patrolling true. the theater. Fair point. That's a fair point. Um, but I, I mean, that, that was part of my thinking. It was like, they maybe have research that says families aren't comfortable going back to theater. And right now, a lot of kids are home, uh, for summer break. Um, everybody wants to be outside because we've all been shuttered in for like 15 months. So maybe that sort of factored into the decision. It's just, yeah, it's just you, interesting you, to me. You're because, probably right. I'm probably scanning yeah. way too much. No, I, I, like, I honestly, yeah, like I don't see. I don't see anything Disney going into the theaters. I mean, I kept thinking like, when was the last time I saw, was thinking of a Disney film in the theater? I'm like, well, that's, I mean, that, that's the big question. That's what everyone's asking. Like, when is this going to end? Bob Chapek keeps saying, Bob the second keeps saying, this is, this is temporary. You know, the pandemic's still gone. We, we're committed to theatrical. We're not going to necessarily throw everything on Disney plus day and date. I don't know if anyone's convinced that that's the case um, because we don't have any data showing how much, for example, Cruella, how well it did, on premium access. We don't know. We don't know the numbers. We also don't know because Luca was free and doesn't have the premium access. So all you got to have is a Disney plus subscription. Did that drive subs? Did the subs go up? Like I, you know, we don't know any of this, so we can't yeah. ascertain what is actually what the, what their 
decision-making process is happening. And, you know, this is a lot of what Kareem Daniels group is supposed to sort of figure out. And, you know, that's the big question right now is whether or not they have data that says families aren't willing to come to the theaters yet. So why not just throw it out on Disney plus we'll get more subs, reduce churn. The other thing is Disney plus doesn't have a lot of original necessarily made specifically for Disney plus movies. They have series. It's the series. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't have movies. So that may be some somewhat playing into this game because, you know, you've got, Again, Paramount Plus, you've got HBO Max throwing out all their movies. So they may be looking at the broader landscape and trying to figure out a way to, again, the goal is reduce to turn, increase subs. This is one way to keep doing that. So. Yeah, and I think that the some of the uh, premium releases that Disney was trying to do, I don't think it's playing out the way that they wanted to, to. like to, no, I, I, to pay yeah, a little bit I, extra I, when you could just wait two weeks. So they might be just realizing, well, let's just release some, some the, film straight, straight to, to I'm, plus, but yeah. I don't like the Pixar movie, like Pixar has a great reputation and there's, they have a brand. But, I mean, this is the only, movies. Disney's the only studio that has the brands really. Um, yeah. I'll be interested to see what happens with black widow. I think that's going to be the first real test of, of whether and what 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 the point is where people are willing to actually pay to go back to the theater because black widow is a marvel property she's a relatively popular character she's not one of the sort of downstream characters that you know no. they're starting to dig we're into. gonna see this in the theater this is a, a marvel yeah movie. it's a marvel movie this is the kind of movie that's going to drive people out of the th- out of their homes but they can also see it at home and in that i think was it no there's another article i read where the uh, the author sort of threw out this idea which isn't necessarily a bad idea where you get a bunch of fam- like what you did. You get a bunch of family and friends together to come over your house. You, you pay the 30 bucks, everybody's sitting in their comfort of a nice house with their own popcorn and drinks and what have you. And you plot the movie. It, are you, I mean, if you're a family, if you've got like, if you're like three or four families on a block, why wouldn't you do that and spend 30 bucks amongst the four or five of you versus spending a hundred bucks each to go to a theater? Yeah. So, I, I mean, we don't know that that could be what we're, I mean, well, especially because of summer and some theaters still have the uh, private viewing parties too. So there is they're cutting back on that. They're and, pulling and back no, on that. It's bumming me out. Cause I'm going to try and get one more of those in before this whole, it's like 200 bucks and you can get like 20 people in there or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. They're cutting back on that for probably the exact reason they want people to go pay and go see movies, not yeah. see like first run movies, not pay to run some movie that they brought with them. Yeah. I, so, I'll be curious. I, I, again, like maybe I'm scheming a little more than people, but I, I swear like Disney, unlike universal when, when they first had that issue with AMC and then they backed away, Disney's been really holding back on the theatrical stuff. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, from the almost the first episode, the Paramount decree going away, there are there's some big player somewhere that hired enough lawyers to reverse that Paramount decree. So, you know, there's a big plan somewhere. This is like people buying up the ground somewhere on the West Coast before it's all gentrified. They slowly (laughs) buy it. Right. Then when the time comes, it was very easy for them. So Uh, I don't think we've seen that thing play itself out yet. I would speculate. Um that I think Comcast might have a game in this as well, because there was a huge article on Brian Roberts in the wall street journal, I believe it was yesterday or Thursday and no comment from him, but 
a lot of it was like, he's on the hunt. He's, he's got money. He knows he wants to scale. Peacock needs to get a boost somewhere. And whether or not it's Viacom, CBS, whether he might play for them, um, it's entirely possible. Um, I don't know if Sherry uh, is ready to <laughs> let go after the battle that she um, joined to wrestle co- that, that company um, back into her control. So I, I don't know, but if that's necessarily the way they're going to go, but that's also a possibility. Yeah. Um, he, I, I, he's a, he's a savvy deal maker, obviously. Um, he was able to do with, you know, what AT&T was unable to do by marrying, um, creation and distribution, content creation and distribution in a, in a way that currently is working for them. Um, whereas AT&T flubbed it completely. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe they're the player. I mean, we talk a lot about Disney, but we forget Comcast also owns Universal Studios. They're re- revamping their entire park in Florida. So they know how to do customer experiences. Yeah. So and people are cutting cables, so they need to they need yeah. to I mean they've got their they've got their X1 box, you know, the flex box or whatever it is. They're also supposed um, another interesting aspect of the article was they they flowed the idea that they might want to buy Roku and have like oh that would be a brilliant. box that's actually formatted and peacock much like you know if you buy an Amazon Fire Amazon Prime's like boop, in your face peacock potentially be in your face sure and then so, they have a distribution I mean, channel for their content like their own OTT straight to yeah. yeah so it'll be interesting to see how this all I mean again Comcast has got some dough so. And Brian Roberts is not one to just sit back and be like, ah, I'm done. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're making some moves behind the scenes as well, similar to Disney, that, you know, they might acquire a theater or two to really Listen, turn it into You're in Philadelphia. Why don't you go get Brian Roberts to join us on our podcast? Just grab I your should. camera. Let me write that time. down. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, my friend, a, well, a, I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go find out, watch some F9 trailers to see if I'm going to go to the movies this weekend and, and watch it that. It looks that bonkers ridiculous. I've had debates about the Fast Furious franchise. There are people who are my age who s- swear by it because they they love, and this is Absurdity. obviously accurate because yeah. it's done so well since number three. They like rebooted it. Um, the absurdity of it. It's the absolute absurdity of the films that they just absolutely love. Yeah. And, you know, everyone, who, who, who doesn't love to hear Vin Diesel talk about Paul Walker for the 50th time? But. Well, I, I always feel like when you watch those movies, you go, who thought of this? Like, <laughs> this doesn't even make any sense of how that car could whatever. You're like, this is. You got to hang, lo- hang your logic police this badge is, up. This is the my theory behind Fast and Furious. <laughs> it's, it's matchbox cars or it's uh, Hot Wheels. You know how when we used to go like this and then we'd go, Whoo! Oh, the little track. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah like, like it's just us with our hand, like it's you know, it's super evil Knievel style. <laughs> I can jump over everything. That's how they direct the movie. They're like, let's get a four-year-old and a bunch of Hot Wheels, and whatever that kid does, we're gonna make we're it. We're gonna mimic it on film. Yes. Oh my god, it's brilliant! I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> That's a great. All right, theory. well, good to see you this week. Good Always to have good you, to and I look forward time. to having Robin back. You know, blessings to him. We got some other guests in the mix, but in classic Hollywood style, I can't reveal that. Just Brian yet. Roberts. We know. Oh, Brian Roberts. I'll make a play for <laughs> Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts, if you're listening, I'm in Philadelphia. I can come right there. It'd be easy. Just bring your easy laptop. Peasy. I'll just hop on to SEPTA. Yeah. Right down to 
You're you right got a brand new laptop, Keith. Show it off to Brian. Like, bro, this is my brand new one. Look at this. A brand new one. Look, Camera's I've got X1 on here. I know how to, I could show him. I know how to use X1. Even though I don't have it, I know how to use it. <laughs> That's horrible. All right, have a good weekend. Good to see you. Yeah, you too.